Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. On today's show, we're talking about Turkey, where earlier this month, citizens approved a referendum measure that would replace Turkey's current parliamentary system with an executive presidential one. The vote exposed deep divisions in Turkey's electorate, with those on the yes side arguing that more consolidation would lead to more stable government, while those on the no side fearing that the change would lead to too much power being invested in one person and would lead to a slide into autocracy. The current president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, campaigned hard for the yes side and was rewarded by receiving 51.4% of the vote, although Turkey's opposition have been crying foul. This week we hear from Turkey Project Director Bulent Ali Riza, and we begin by assessing how much this vote changes Turkey. You know, uh, in one sense, it doesn't really change anything because uh, President Erdogan, uh, who was elected in uh, 2014, after having served uh, um, almost 11 years, uh, in fact, more over 11 years as prime minister and having been the strongest prime minister probably in terms of the executive actions that, uh, that Turkey has ever seen, um, was theoretically, uh, according to the Constitution, uh, supposed to be confined to a, a mostly ceremonial role. But he has not actually uh, uh, um, uh, behaved like that. He has uh, been an executive pro- uh, president in a de facto sense. What he did was uh, he made it clear to the, uh, the prime minister, uh, who, as uh, the, the leader of the party, the AKP, which Mr. Erdogan uh, led until uh, he had to resign because the Turkish constitution requires it to be uh, um, uh, a non-party, uh, not aff- affiliated with any, any party. Uh, he was responsible. The prime minister ex- exercised executive authority because he had a parliamentary majority uh, composed of uh, members of, of his party. But Mr. Erdogan uh, made it clear to Mr. Davutoglu and to the parliamentary majority what he wanted and essentially got his way on, uh, on, on, uh, on most of the issues that, uh, that he cared about. Now, when there was a disagreement between him and Mr. Davutoglu, Mr. Davutoglu was effectively pushed out and he was replaced by uh, the current prime minister, Mr. Yildirim, who clearly is is much more cognizant of the need uh, to coordinate with Mr. Erdogan. So what I'm trying to say is that he was effectively exercising executive power from the presidency, even with the limitations of the of the constitution. So in that sense, it doesn't change anything that that now becomes formalized with the new constitution. But of course, the fact that the the new constitution will make what was exercised on a de facto basis de jure enshrine it in a document. That will last, and that uh, changes Turkey fundamentally. One more note I think that's uh, worth mentioning. Mr. Erdogan, throughout the campaign, and he campaigned very hard in order to get a yes vote, talked about the bifurcation at the top, that there was a president who was elected by uh, popular vote, and then there was a, a prime minister who, um, you know, uh, who led the parliamentary majority, again elected by popular vote. Well, actually, that was a creation of the 2007 constitutional amendment that the AKP pushed through. So it was a, a bifurcation. If it was a problem at all for our, in the administration of the country, uh, it was one of uh, their own making. Now, this is designed to, to end it, and it does centralize power in the, in the hands of the president. The changes are not actually going to come into force until 2019, when there is a general election, except for uh, three items, one of which is important, which is that uh, uh, President Erdogan can now assume the leadership of the of the party again, in in effect fusing uh, the presidency 
with the party leadership. And and so, you know, what's the reaction been to this from, say, the opposition? I mean, it wasn't a big win. It was what 51, 52 percent. Um, it was still tight. So, and it's even being disputed whether it was a win. So, what what's the reaction been from from the opposition side? Well, the the uh, President Erdogan actually led the campaign very hard. It really was, in effect, a referendum on him, on his popularity. And the reason that he got a 51% plus uh, win was really due to his efforts. Uh, I would suggest that many of the people who voted for this referendum may not know the details, but are loyal followers of, of uh, President Erdogan. And, uh, you know, all they wanted to know was that uh, he was cam- campaigning for this. They voted for him. But nonetheless, he eked out a very narrow win. And the opposition, um, the Republican People's Party, uh, the CHP, to use the Turkish acronym, also campaigned hard. And... Uh, uh, got close uh, to achieving its aim, which was to get a no vote. They argued that too much power would be given to, 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 to the president. And um, they objected uh, immediately that there were irregularities in the, uh, in the way that the election was conducted, most notably on, on whether, without an official stamp at the, uh, uh, at the ballot box, you know, those votes could be counted. And the Higher Electorate Council, YSK, the Turkish acronym, said during the count that, that those could be counted, in effect reversing an, uh, uh, its early position. So these are like unauthorized votes that... Right. They're supposed to have an official stamp on them, and votes that did not have that official stamp were counted. No, nonetheless, when the CHP um, uh, appealed for a, a, uh, uh, to the result, the YSK rejected it by a vote of 10 to 1. Then they went to a, another administrative body that is supposed to uh, deal with irregularities like this, the Danishtai, the Council of State, uh, and that also rejected it. Now, they have one other option uh, within uh, Turkish, uh, Turkish borders, uh, within the Turkish system, which is to go to the Constitutional Court. But it seems as if the, uh, the CHP has decided against going to the Constitutional Court, uh, believing that the, you know, either they will not take up the case, or if they do, they'll elect to reject it. They are trying to tap in as much as possible to the reaction outside, and there's a uh, possibility... Um, that it was one of their vice chairmen said that they may take it to the European Court of Human Rights. Are we seeing, uh, if not, if it hasn't happened already, uh, this authoritarianism taking place in, in, in Turkey? You look at the, uh, you know, the life in Turkey after the coup, these purges that have happened. Um, this isn't you know, a normal thing that a democracy goes through. Well, you know, the Turkish democratic system was flawed before the AKP came into power, uh, and, and it's flawed now. What we're discussing is the extent to which it's flawed. Now, what is clear is that President Erdogan uh, remains the towering figure in Turkish politics. And, and uh, he's clearly favored to win any, uh, any election. Uh, now, is he, has he been accumulating power around himself? Clearly. But that was happening before uh, the referendum. That was happening before he assumed the presidency. That was happening before the, uh, the failed coup. Uh, and, uh, and that was happening when he was prime minister. Now, AKP has been winning elections. His party, AKP, has been winning elections since 2002. Uh, Mr. Erdogan's uh, uh, political lineage goes all the way back to when he won the race for mayor uh, in Istanbul in 1994. And until the referendum turned up with a no vote in Istanbul, he's been winning. He and his party have been winning uh, Istanbul. Same thing in Ankara. They won Ankara in the same year, in 1994. Um, And um, uh, they, uh, they, the AKP, or his predecessor, Always has been winning um, uh, Ankara. Now, it's true that uh, the referendum uh, and the constitutional change that it brings 
uh, enshrines um, the uh, growing accumulation on the rights and, and uh, confirms the uh, accumulation of power at the presidency. Half the population, uh, clearly, uh, just over half, approve of this. Right, and they've been. Uh, that's why AKP has been winning election. That's why Mr. Erdogan got 52% in the uh, in the vote for the presidency in 2014, and that's why he is likely to be favorite in the next elections when they come in. And yet, uh, uh, the fact that he lost both Istanbul and Ankara, the fact that the majority of uh, first-time voters, 58%, I believe, voted no, uh, should give him cause for concern. Now, this is. Uh, this is how a democracy functions. Yes, it has flaws, but there are signs, like uh, you know the ones I mentioned, that uh, there is opposition. Now, what has happened is that Turkey has become very deeply polarized. It's always been a polarized society, but it's becoming even more polarized along ethnic, sectarian, uh, uh, religious, secular lines. So clearly, what has happened is that uh, uh, a decision has been made at the top that in order to continue to govern this country, we will rely on our base. That happens in, in, in many countries. But in the process, relying on that base has alienated the other side. And that's what's worrisome in the long run. Now, clearly, there are going to be elections in, in, in Turkey. Now, there will be problems in terms of the, the vote count. But parallel to that, there is this confrontation that goes on between elections, before elections and afterwards, which is getting more and more heated. Um, and there is a danger that uh, uh, you know, uh, it will spill over beyond um, you know, the democratic, the limits of, 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 of democracy into confrontation in, in the streets, which is something that hopefully nobody uh, in their right minds would want uh, for a country like, uh, like Turkey. Um, democracy, uh, you know, is better, is flawed, but uh, it's, all, it's better than all the alternatives that are out there. But, you know, you, you can have a situation in, in which you can have majoritarianism that, you know, uh, once a party wins, and we can see that in other parts of uh, the, the world, including, for example, in Hungary, uh, Poland, where you, uh, once you get the, a majority, you're not as attentive, to put it mildly, to the, uh, to the complaints and demands of the, of the opposition as you should be. And democracy is just win not just winning elections, but also being cognizant uh, of and responsive to uh, the wishes of, of the, the other side. And I'm not sure that that's happening. In fact, it isn't happening in Turkey as it should. But again, you know, there is a long uh, history of uh, lack of attention and sensitivity to, to, the, to the opposition um, uh, in, in Turkey, which unfortunately led to the bad things happening. Um, we're going to talk about America in a minute, but let's just talk about, about Europe and um, what kind of reaction there's been there. Well, the Organization of Security in Europe, OSCE, um, put out a report prior to the, to the referendum, in which it drew attention to the dangers of uh, doing this when there was an emergency rule uh, in operation, which was the case uh, after the failed coup of July uh, 2016. And, uh, and afterwards, uh, it put out a report again, post-referendum report, in which it uh, pointed to some of the flaws uh, in the way that the, uh, the, the process unfolded, including you know, the, uh, the counting of ballots and, uh, and their approval, uh, and, and the changing of the, uh, the rules uh, throughout the, the process. And that led uh, to numerous statements by European leaders who referred to the OSCE um, report and ultimately to the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, of which Turkey has been a, me a member for many decades, 
in essence, censuring uh, Turkey by putting it on a watch list again. Um, Turkey had previously been on a watch list for the parliamentary assembly, uh, but that was lifted in 2004. Uh, within a few months, you know, within 18 months of the AKP coming to power. Uh, the fact that uh, the Council of Europe, um, and let us remember, the, the current Turkish foreign minister was Secretary General, was the head of the, uh, the, uh, um, the, Council, the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe until a few years ago. For that to happen shows the deterioration in the relationship between Turkey and Europe. The rhetoric on both sides was uh, uh, quite heated prior to the election, and that's continued with President Erdogan attacking the Europeans for their double standards, talking about a crusader uh, spirit. And given the fact that Turkey is a member, uh, is an aspirant for membership of the European Union in a process that's stalled, uh, it doesn't bode well for the future. Uh, although the Europeans are not going to suspend those negotiations, Mr. Erdogan is threatening to actually hold a referendum on EU membership on the Turkish side, whereby Turkey itself may unilaterally end the process, uh, which would clearly open up a whole new unfortunate chapter in the relationship. Yeah, do, do you really see the, the EU and Turkey coming together at any point? I mean, it, right now, even with the EU in, in their own disarray, it just seems so far away from possibility, that further maybe than it's ever been. Well, what's, what's happening is that the, the process is not moving anywhere, but the EU is not inclined to actually end it. They had a recent meeting where they discussed what to do about the, uh, the accession talks, and only one country, uh, Austria, apparently said, let's stop it, let's stop it formally. The others are willing to, to uh, let what is, in effect, a, a, you know, a stalled moribund process um, a, you know, uh, stay where it is. The, what is new is the, uh, um, the escalation of the rhetoric on the Turkish side and the desire uh, and the stated desire of, of uh, um, an apparent willingness of Mr. Erdogan to actually take the issue of EU membership uh, to a referendum. The way things are, it's, it's likely that the Turkish uh, voters will say no. And even if he does not do that, but bring back, brings back the death penalty, the Europeans have warned that, that because that goes against European norms, that that would be end the end of a relationship. Um, it's very difficult to be optimistic about the Turkey-EU relationship uh, you know, in the short and medium run. So we have, we have Erdogan in power, the AKP, who have, I guess, turned away from the more secular outlook of, of, of Turkey. And at the same time, you have this anti-EU rhetoric. So... Is Turkey moving away from that, like permanently away from that direction? And, and if so, w what kind of direction is it trying to go in? You know, the old line is that Turkey is an eastern country if you come from the west, from Europe, and a western country if you come from the east, from the Middle East. You know, if you get on a plane in Tehran and land in Istanbul, you know you're in the west. If you get on a plane in London and land in Istanbul, you know you're in the east. So, you know, there's been a, a, a tug first one way, then the other. Uh, throughout Turkish history, and all, all the way back to the, to the Ottoman era. Now, what happened, um, interestingly, when the AKP came to power, is that even though it traced its origins to political Islam in, in Turkey, it was very eager to upgrade its relationship with the Europeans. And in fact, accession negotiations began with the AKP uh, over a decade ago. Um, it was a great success for them. That actually helped the AKP consolidate its, its uh, standing with, shall we say, the, the more secular elements or the secular elements within uh, the country who said, oh, look, you know, we've been trying to westernize uh, for so long, and it's the AKP that actually uh, uh, got this. But at the same time, Turkey was becoming a more devout uh, society. The secularists uh, uh, were beginning to uh, be alienated from Mr. Erdogan. Mr. Erdogan kept his uh, majority, but uh, did so uh, by increasing the rhetoric uh, against the West. 
and in particular against the, the, the Europeans. So we now have a situation in which um, the, there is growing tension between Turkey and Europe, to which it had committed its, fu- uh, you know, its future. Growing relationship between Turkey and uh, Muslim countries and the Islamic world. Um, growing uh, uh, attention to uh, relig- uh, re- growing religiosity within, within the country. So you can ask the question that you're asking, you know, where is Turkey wearing away from Europe? Well, as long as it does not end this commitment uh, to the relationship with the West, and that includes, you know, being part of the collective defense organization, NATO, as well as relationships with the Council of Europe, membership of the Council of Europe, uh, accession process with the with the Europeans, um, you know, a desire to um, have that relationship parallel to the relationship with the uh, with the other. It wasn't either or uh, for so long. I doubt whether it will be either or uh, in the future because Turkey really belongs to to both countries. Although we're going through a particularly difficult period uh, in the Turkey-European relationship, and then of course there's the whole U.S. dimension. You know, where uh, at a time when Turkey and Mr. Erdogan are attacking the Europeans, um, there is hope in Turkey that uh, that the U.S.-Turkish relationship will continue. Um, uh, you know, on. Uh, on a much better track and even uh, might improve compared to the days of, uh, of, of Obama. We, we've talked a bit about, you know, the, the, the creeping authoritarianism or the keeping maybe tyranny, the majority, one party system, something like that, that that's happening in Turkey. From a U.S. perspective, as long as the U.S. get what they want, which, you know, from, say, security commitments and, and otherwise, does the U.S. really care what kind of state Turkey's in? That is a very crucial question. You know, the uh, Turkey entered NATO uh, because the U.S. decided that in the confrontation with the Soviet Union, um, the territorial reach to what was called the soft underbelly of the Soviet Union uh, in the three uh, uh, Soviet republics of the Caucasus was important. And uh, Turkey uh, came into, um, into the alliance. And for 40 years, uh, Turkey was a very loyal member of, uh, of NATO. Now, during that period, there were three coups in Turkey. And because of the higher, uh, uh, more important goals, as were perceived, of keeping Turkey uh, in line um, with the alliance, you know, within the alliance against the Soviet Union, uh, the U.S. did not show uh, a negative reaction or the kind of negative reaction as the leader of the democratic free world to those coups. I mean, that underlines um, the, um, you know, the real politique um, uh, and the hierarchy of interest as perceived by, by Washington when it came to Turkey. Now, you can talk about uh, the, uh, at the, at its most extreme, the U.S.-Saudi relationship, where Sa- the, you know, the U.S. does not talk about um, uh, some of the ways in which Saudi Arabia, and we can talk about other countries too, but just to pick up one example, uh, that it could, but it chooses not to because of the importance of keeping the relationship going. Now, the Turkey-U.S. relationship can be transactional, if we can term it like this, this way and focusing on the areas of cooperation and not getting into other areas like human rights, uh, you know, authoritarianism, lapses in democracy um, that um, Washington could choose to ignore. The, with the Europeans, it's always been different. The, Turkey, uh, the Turkish relationship with the Europeans, stretching all the way back to the Ottoman Empire days, was initially one of conflict in which you know, the Europeans fought the Ottoman armies. But as Ottoman, the Ottoman armies re- uh, uh, retreated, uh, more and more, they ask themselves the question, why are they beating us? They're beating us because they're more, progr- uh, they're more advanced. And we need to be like them. And eventually that led to Turkey, uh, Turkey, the successor state to the Ottoman Empire, under Atatürk, who had been an Ottoman officer, 
um, to say, you know, there's only one civilization, Western civilization, to actually quote Ataturk, and they decided to uh, engage the Europeans. The Europeans, in other words, uh, once the EU came into being, um, uh, you know, saw a country that wanted to join them and said, if you want to join our club, which is what we are, to be a member like us, there are certain standards, the so-called Copenhagen criteria that you need to follow. And, you know, once you fulfill those, then we let you into the club. But the U.S., it wasn't a question of Turkey being considered for, uh, to become the 51st state. Uh, so there were no standards um, of membership of a club, of a union that the U.S. was insisting on. It, but it was different for the Europeans. And we're seeing that divergence uh, maybe widening between uh, the European attitude and the U.S. attitude, particularly after uh, in the Trump administration. Right, and you, you see that with the, the Trump phone call to Erdogan, the only, I think, the, the first and the only Western leader to, to actually congratulate Erdogan. On the it was weekend. striking. It was striking. Immediately after the, uh, the referendum, at a time when the, the Europeans were referring to the OSC uh, 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 observations, and then holding off, um, and the State Department spokesperson, followed by the White House spokesperson who used the same talking points, both referring to the, to the OSC reports, uh, President Trump puts in a call uh, to President Erdogan congratulating him and going further and actually inviting him for a meeting which is uh, uh, likely to take place uh, in mid-May. Uh, um, you know, again, you know, this may be real politique. Uh, it may be tied uh, to the Trump administration's desire uh, to take up the Turkish offer of engaging in a fight against uh, ISIS. Uh, but again, it, um, it uh, widens the divergence, at least in the short run, between the, the European attitude towards Turkey and, uh, and the U.S. attitude. And also, at the same time, underlines the difference uh, in Turkish policy towards Europeans, the Europeans, which is scathing, hostile, uh, uh, and with uh, very negative rhetoric on a daily basis from the president, and the expectations of, uh, of a much better relationship with, uh, with Washington. And uh, speaking of the, the fight against ISIS in, in Syria, this week, the, the Turkey bombed uh, the YPG, who are obviously allied with the U.S. in the fight against the Islamic State. Um, so if you're the Trump administration, how do you find a way to, to cooperate with Turkey when you've got so many different sides that you're trying to balance? It's a very complicated story, but you know, to try and uh, summarize it, what happened is that the Obama administration, uh, from the time that it decided to help the beleaguered uh, YPG, the Syrian Kurdish uh, um, fighting arm of the main Syrian Kurdish party, the PYD, in 2014, uh, October 2014, against ISIS, uh, the U.S. has engaged the YPG over Turkish objections um, as its main, most effective fighting uh, uh, partner against ISIS. As the U.S. began to focus more and more on um, not the ouster of Assad, which was its initial goal in the Syrian civil war, but the, uh, the, uh, um, the elimination of ISIS, um, it relied more and more on, uh, on the YPG, sent hundreds of uh, special forces, and equipment, uh, and is currently uh, helping them uh, get uh, moved towards Raqqa. Now, the Turks said that the YPG is tied to the PKK, which is, uh, 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 which I think is true in many, many ways. Uh, they are organically tied to each other, which Turkey has been fighting since 1984, and which not only Turkey, but the United States considers to be a terrorist organization. But what the United States did 
was to draw a line between the PKK, which is still considered to be um, a terrorist organization fighting an ally, Turkey, and the YPG, with which it is cooperating uh, in Syria. Now, this uh, divergence of opinion, this, this, uh, this disagreement, fundamental disagreement, um, really poisoned the relationship between Obama and, and, and Erdogan. Now, Erdogan still complains about it and complains about the fact that after initially reviewing the Obama uh, policy, the uh, Trump administration, after a 30-day review, essentially decided to go along with the same uh, 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 process. Now, Erdogan's hoping, he's been sending messages to, to Trump that um, he should stop relying on the YPG. Uh, he did it again today, but rely on, on the Turkish army uh, to actually take Raqqa. But, uh, um, you know, given the way in which the U.S. has committed itself to working with the Syrian Kurds, um, I'm not sure that uh, Mr. Erdogan is going to be any more persuasive during the period before his meeting with, uh, with Trump or, uh, or when he meets him to get the U.S. to uh, uh, stop cooperating with the YPG, particularly as Trump during the, the campaign talked about the, uh, the imperative of defeating ISIS uh, quickly and uh, doing it quickly, uh, according to him and his, uh, the, the Pentagon and uh, CENTCOM is relying on the on the YPG. This issue is not going to go away even after Raqqa is taken one way or the other because there's the, going to be the whole question of, um, you know, what happens to this uh, to the uh, territory that the Syrian Kurds have uh, gained control of along most of the, uh, the Turkish-Syrian uh, border, south of that border, except for the area that Turkey intervened in with its allies the, in the Free Syrian Army. Um, you know, do they get autonomy? which is something that, by the way, the Russians have been supporting openly. Um, and will Turkey uh, change its policy, just as it did in northern Iraq? And after having opposed Kurdish control of the lands immediately beyond its border in Iraq, uh, developed a good relationship with the Kurdish regional government in Syria, um, the current Turkish position, no, is that that's not going to happen. And if that's the case, we're going to have a border in which there is uh, mutual hostility uh, between Turks and Kurds. And the U.S. would be allied with both of them, which would put the U.S. in a, in a difficult position. Clearly, one of the items that uh, is going to be right up there when, uh, when Trump and, uh, and Erdogan meet. And that was Bulent Ali Riza. Thanks again for joining me this week. And as always, if you have any feedback on the show, you can find me on Twitter or email me at cquinn at csis.org. I look forward to you joining me again next week.